Thank you for being here. If you're here, and again, those of you that are watching online, I'm incredibly excited to be studying together with people and being able to see eye to eye. We'll ask a couple of discussion questions as we get started here in just a second, but we're going to begin with the word of prayer. So let's pray. Father God, we are incredibly thankful to gather together to spend some time thinking about you, reading scripture, and reflecting on who you are, what you've done for us, the life to which you've called us, the covenant relationship that you have initiated through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Father, to be called into relationship with you through Jesus, to be given your spirit, to be part of your family is overwhelming. And the more we come to know you, the more overwhelmed we are by how great and awesome and big and magnificent and glorious you are. And Father, we pray that you help open our eyes even more to your presence and to your personality, to who you are and what you've done, that we might stand in awe of you, that we might bow before you, that we might get up and go out into the world and bring glory and honor to you. Father, we ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we are still talking about the qualities and characteristics of God. It's really a class about theology, which might sound uh, really academic, but I believe that there is nothing more practical than theology, because knowing who God is changes the way not only that we think, but also changes the way that we live. So we're talking about who God is, but we're also talking about how that influences the way we think about ourselves and our life and the way that we live out our theology in our everyday life. So let me start with this question as we begin tonight. We've got some microphones. Hopefully they pick you up and we can, uh, the people at home can hear. But the first question is, by what kinds of things are human beings limited? What limits us? What are some of the limitations that, that we naturally have as humans? Understanding, absolutely, yes, we're, we're limited in our understanding. We talked about that last week a little bit, didn't we? The incomprehensibility of God. And so our human limitations make it impossible for us to know everything about God or even just to know everything in general. So we are limited in how much we can understand. We're limited in our knowledge and our wisdom and our understanding. Absolutely. What else? What else limits human beings? By what are we limited can't see into the future. Yes, absolutely. So we're, we're limited not only on our understanding, what we can see and understand, but also time, right? So we're limited in time. Time limits us. So we can't see into the future. We don't know what's going to happen. So we're limited by time. We only have so much time too, don't we? We only have a limited amount of time and we can only experience what we experience during that window of time. So we have however many years that we're alive and we can't see anything past in the past from that or in the future from that. So yeah, absolutely. Limited by time. Can't see into the future. What else? Our senses, absolutely, yes. We, they're, they're amazing, aren't they? We have these five great senses, but, but whether it's our sight or our feeling or our, our taste or our smell or whatever, they're limited. And so they have a limitation how far we can, we can take those things. Absolutely. What else? 
Any other limitations you can think of? What about space? We talked about time a little bit, but we're also limited by space, right? We can only be in one place at a time. And all of us have had moments where we wish we could be in multiple places at a time. And you might say, well, you know, one time I was at four corners and I stood in four different states at the same time. But that's, you're actually only part of you is in a part of a place, right? So you could say, well, I stood with one foot in the foyer and one foot in the auditorium, but actually it's only a part of you that's in the foyer and a part of you that's in the auditorium. Your whole self can only ever be in one place at one time. So you're limited to a particular place at a particular time. So we're limited in our senses, we're limited in our understanding, we're limited by time, we're limited by a lot of different things. Any other things you could think of? Yeah, absolutely, the processing of the information. So not only what you, what you gather, but then even what you do with the information that you've gathered, absolutely. Our thought process. And it kind of goes along with what Chip said earlier about our senses, but also our strength, right? Not only our mental capacity and power, but also our physical capacity and power. So strength, whatever kind of strength that is, we're limited. And in that, in that matter, we continue, the longer we live, we continue to get more and more limited, right? Our bodies it's, themselves are constantly decaying. And so, again, that part of that is time that we only have so much of it, and as time goes on, our bodies wear out, and our strength wears out. So we might have had a certain amount of strength, but over time, we have less and less strength. So we're, we're changing. We, we change from an infant to an adult, and we grow in our capacity. Our limitations get less, and our capacity gets more, but then after a while, it begins to reverse, and our limitations get greater, and our capacity gets less. So over time, our, we get more and more limited in what we can know and do and where we can go. So how about this? And this is kind of a related question, number two, on what kinds of things are humans dependent? So we talked about our limitations. What about our dependencies? What are we dependent on? What do we need? Blessings? Yeah, absolutely. We need, we need God, don't we? Absolutely. So we, we have this dependency on God. We need God's gifts yeah. Health. health? Yes, absolutely. Health, for sure. Uh, right? Our physical health. And that plays along with our limitations. And what, what kind of things contribute to our health? What do we need in order to be healthy? Absolutely. So we need food, right? And not only food, but the right kind of food, right? We could, there's lots of things we could eat, but not necessarily would contribute to our health. So we need good food. And if we don't have good food, if we don't have something to eat to nourish our physical selves, we're just going to decay, right? If we have a severe lack, we die, right? We die. What else? So we need food. We need blessings from God. What else do we need? Air, absolutely. We can't live without air, so we have a dependency on even the air around us. Even invisible things like air the, to breathe. We wouldn't make it even just a few minutes without air. What else? Social interaction, absolutely. We need relationships, don't we? It, from the moment we're born, no person could make it on their own. There's not a, 
a baby in the world, no matter how strong and how amazing that baby was, it, they, they need other people. And as time goes on, what we need from other people might change, but the fact that we need other people doesn't change. We can't make it alone. There's no human that can make it alone. We need other people. So yeah, absolutely, social interactions, relationships. What else? Air, food, relationships, blessings. Shelter, shelter. absolutely. We can't make it without shelter. What else? Water, right? Liquid. We need liquid. There's so, there's so many things, and we could even break all of those things down. We need vitamins, and we need minerals. And we, there, we could break it down, and we have so much dependency, right? There's so many things that we need. We are not self-sufficient. There's not a single person who is self-sufficient. We need outside things in order for us even just to survive, even just for moments, not even for days. We are not self-sufficient. We cannot create everything that we need. We cannot create food to eat. We cannot create water to drink. We cannot create air to breathe. We need someone to give us those things. And so we have natural limitations and we have natural dependencies. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is that God has none of those right? God has no limitations and is not dependent on anyone or anything. So the two words we're going to talk about tonight is God's infinity and aseity. I, I had to practice saying that one. I don't know if anybody, if you know that word and you already knew that word, come talk to me afterwards because I'm super impressed. I had never even heard of the word aseity and I felt better when I typed it into my pages program on my computer and and it had the little red underline thing so it didn't know that word either so ha there but uh, but aseity means self-sufficient not dependent on anyone or anything so God's infinity that God is without limit all of the limitations that we talked about God is not limited by any of those and we're going to explore some of those those powers those the 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 fact that God is omnipresent, that God is all present, present everywhere at the same time, and God is all powerful and God is all knowing. We'll talk about all of those as we go on. And then there's this idea of God's aseity, that God isn't dependent on anyone or anything, that God is completely self-sufficient. And these are two ways that God is totally, completely unlike us. Because we have all of these limitations and we have all of these dependencies. We cannot make it on our own. Like we sometimes, we, we want to think that we could, right? We want to think that we could make it on our own. But whatever it is that we're using to survive, even if we're out in the wilderness, there's a show Holly and I like to watch sometimes. It's called Alone. And these people get dropped off in the middle of the woods and they try to survive. But they can, even those people are, that are really good at it can only make it a certain amount of time and they're using things that they themselves didn't put there. They didn't put those trees there. They didn't put those animals there. They didn't put that water there. They didn't put air to breathe there. They are dependent on other things and other people and we all are. So we all have this dependency on other things. We are not self-dependent or self-sufficient. And we're all limited. We have a million limitations. And God is infinite. He has no limitations. And God has a seity, meaning that God is 
self-sufficient, not dependent on anyone or anything. I want to look at a couple passages tonight and think about these traits. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Of course, this is God telling Moses to go and, and bring his people out of captivity, right? Go to Egypt and, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, apparently, it had been a very, very long time since God had interacted with his people. Genesis ends with Joseph, right? And then generations and generations and generations go by where the Israelites are captives, are slaves in Egypt, and then Moses comes onto the scene as the deliverer. But generations have gone by, and we don't know what sort of interaction that God has had with his people, or even if they really, how much they really even know about their God. They, they worshiped God, and they prayed to God, and they were crying out to God for deliverance, and they knew that he was the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, their forefathers. But it had been a very long time, many generations since they had really interacted with God. And so in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, when God is speaking to Moses from the bush, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? They apparently didn't know God's name. Now, he had used that name before. That name had been referenced in Genesis, but apparently the people of Moses' day didn't know God by his covenant name. What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then later on, the, the proper name Yahweh is used. And in Hebrew, I am and Yahweh are very similar. They're related. And so Yahweh, the covenant name of God that even the Jewish people wouldn't even dare to pronounce really is about God saying, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. God is the God who is. God is the God who is. He was, he is, and he will always be. He is the one and only constant. We've been talking on Sunday mornings, we started last week, with the series on Ecclesiastes. And I really want to encourage people to read through the book of Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes is all about how everything is, is a cycle. Everything is secular. It, it's just going round and round. Everything begins and then it has a middle and then it has an end. And then something else begins and it has a middle and it ends. And everything rises and everything falls and everything is in flux and everything is always changing. And that's what we talked about. Even our own selves we're born, we grow up a little bit, and then we start to decay. And, and everything is just temporary and illusory, like we talked about on Sunday morning, except for the world, which is just this constant, and God. And, and, but even the world has its beginning, right? It, it isn't eternal. It hasn't always existed. So God is really the only constant, the only thing that just is. God just is. He's not dependent on anything. He didn't have a past. He wasn't just 
born one day, and he's not going to end one day. He just is. He is the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will always be. So when he introduces himself, he simply says, I am who I am. I am the God who is. Look at verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord... And anytime you see Lord capitalized in most translations, it is the proper name of God. It's Yahweh. And there's lots of reasons why they translate it as Lord. But he says, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So Yahweh is the God who is. Now think about that in contrast with everything the law and the prophets say about all of the other supposed gods, all of the other idols, because they are the gods who are are not. God, Yahweh is the God who is, and the other gods are the gods who are not. They were not, they are not, and they will not be. But our God is the God who is, who was, and who will always be. That's the difference, is these other gods are not really gods. They, They aren't. And God is. All these other gods are are not, they were not, and they will not be. But God is, he was, and he is to come. And God's existence is not contingent upon anything. It's not that God is, it's not that Yahweh may be, it's that God is. It's not that he might be, he is. He does exist. He has always been. He will always be. And he is. And that reality, that constant, isn't contingent upon anything. And nothing else can say that. Even things that can't say anything can't say that. And we can't say that. We can't say, I am. Because there was a time when we weren't. And there will be a time when we will not be. We just temporarily are but we are even in our very existence right now are dependent on so many factors and we could fade away like that but God on the other hand Yahweh is he is he has always been will always be and he is look at Psalm 50 and start in verse 7 Psalm 50 and verse 7 God is speaking to his people and he says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or a goat from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. So he says, I'm not rebuking you because you haven't sacrificed enough. You're not giving me enough. I, I have it all already. It already belongs to me. Everything is mine. There is nothing you can give to me because it all belongs to me already. Now again, no other God could make that claim. And again, they're the gods that aren't and ours is the God that is, but Even those other gods couldn't claim everything. They had certain things that belonged to them, certain areas of jurisdiction, but not everything belonged to them. So when you offered a sacrifice to these other gods, they were receiving something that didn't belong to them in the first place. But Yahweh says, everything is mine already. All of the 
the field animals and all of the, the wood animals, all of them, they all belong to me. You cannot find anything anywhere that doesn't belong to Yahweh. Everything already belongs to him. The furthest star in the universe and the tiniest speck of sand, it already belongs to him. He is not limited in his possession or his presence, right? Yahweh is not limited in his possession or his presence. God is everywhere and owns everything already. There is nothing that doesn't already belong to him because he is the creator of everything. And so you can't give anything to Yahweh. You really can't give anything to him because it's his already. And that's what he's saying to his people. Yes, I want you to make sacrifices, but it's not because I need your animals. Those are my animals. <laughs> They've always been. You can't give me a speck of dirt because it's mine. You can't give me a blade of grass because it's mine. It all belongs to me already. Every molecule in the on planet Earth and every star in the solar system, everything belongs to Yahweh already. Look at verse 12. He says, if I were hungry, which he's not, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Now notice, he says, I don't need you. I don't need you. I, I'm not hungry. I'm not asking you for a snack. I'm not asking you for dinner. I don't need you to feed me. If I was hungry and I needed something to eat, I could take anything I wanted because it's all mine anyway. I'm not asking you to help me out. I'm not dependent on you. But notice, you're dependent on me. Ask me and I'll deliver you. Now that's what's so amazing about Yahweh. He is the God who is, the God who was, the God who will be, the God who just is, the God who, who is not limited in his presence or his possession, who owns all things and is everywhere, who is not dependent on anything or anyone, is not limited by anything or anyone, and he wants a relationship with his covenant people. And he says, ask me and I'll deliver you. And what is it that he wants from his people? He wants gratitude, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and he wants glory. I want you to be loyal to me. I want you to be my people. I want you to act like my people. That's what I want from you. I don't need dinner. I'm not hungry. But notice how the other gods are always treated. Whether it's the gods of, of Canaan or the gods of Rome or the gods of Greece, it's it's like they're, sometimes it's like they're big babies and they have all of these needs and wants and they get angry and they need the people to do this and they're trying to pacify this God or pacify that God or this God gets mad or this God has an affair with this other God or this God has an affair with the mortals. I mean, they're just wild stories. But Yahweh isn't like any of those. He says, I don't need you to give me bulls and goats. They're all mine. What I want from you is glory and gratitude. I want you to ask me. I want you to depend on me. I want you to recognize your dependence on me. I'm not dependent on you. You're dependent on me. But notice how even we get this so wrong sometimes. We, we sometimes act like 
like God is dependent on us or that God needs us, but we also forget our dependence on him, that we need him. We need him. We wouldn't make it through a moment of the day without the things that he gives to us, even the breath that we breathe, the air that we breathe. So what he wants from his people is gratitude and glory. Look at Acts chapter 17. Now again, Paul is speaking to the the people in Athens, and he says, I took a tour of the city, and I've been looking around at all these gods that you have, all these idols that you have. He's standing on the Areopagus, and the people in Athens, they love to hear new stuff. Like, tell me new stuff. Tell me something I haven't heard before. Give me something new, something from the edge of the world, and, and, you know, make me think about something I've not thought of before. And so Paul gets up, he stands in the midst of the Areopagus, and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now, there's all kinds of different stories about why there was an altar to an unknown God. Some people think that there was something horrible that had happened and that they had tried every other God and finally they prayed to the God that they didn't know and that this God saved them from that. Or some people think that maybe they were just trying to cover all their bases. Yeah, got this God and this God and this God and this God. There's probably somebody we're leaving out. So we'll just cover our bases and make sure we're praying to every God, even the gods we don't know about. But one way or the other, Paul capitalizes on the fact that they have an altar to a God and they admit there's, there's gods or a God that we don't know. We don't know everything. And Paul says, okay, good. That gives me an opportunity to share with you about the God that you don't know. Because you don't know this God. And this God is unlike any of the other gods that you worship. All of these other gods are very similar in a lot of ways. But this God, the real God, Yahweh God, the God that I worship, the God that I serve is different. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. Now, even that's a bold claim, isn't it? To go into Athens and to say Yahweh made everything in the world. Everything in the world, this God, the God you don't know about, is the God that made everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed, what? Anything. As if he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He doesn't need anything because he made everything. God is the source and the giver of life and breath and everything. And think about it for a second. The one who gives everything, what does he need? Nothing, right? There's things that you could give, right? You could give each other lots of different things because you have that thing, whatever it is. You have strength, you have power, you have time, you have money, you have energy, you have a house, you have a car, you have food, whatever. You could give someone something of what you have, but you cannot give everything because you don't possess that. But God possesses everything. He's not limited in his presence or his possessions. God has everything. He is the source and the giver of life and breath and everything. And because he's the giver and the source of life and breath and everything, he needs nothing. Nothing. Because the one who gives everything needs nothing. If you had everything to give and you were not limited in what you could give, then what would you depend on someone else for? 
Nothing. You don't need anything because you have everything to give. And Paul says, that's, that's Yahweh God. He, he's not served by human hands as if he needed something. As opposed to all of these other gods who all need you. They need you to constantly be waiting on them. They need you to constantly be feeding them. They they need you to constantly be serving them. They need you to constantly be waiting on them hand and foot and pacifying them and making sure they're okay and they're not too upset or anything like that. They need you. Isn't it interesting? We put a big G on the God and little G's on God's plural because it really is a very little God who needs anything. If your God needs you, that's a really little God. But Paul says, the God, the one who created everything, the God you don't know about, that you admit it, there's a God out there that we don't know, that God. Let me tell you about that God, because that God is bigger than all of your gods, because he created everything, and he needs nothing from you. He doesn't need anything from you. But he wants something with you. He wants something for you. He wants to be in covenant relationship with you. And every week I want to come back to the same idea that as we said last week, Christian theology begins and ends with Jesus, right? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus who is the one who was with God, who is God, and who became flesh. Look at John 8 verses 53 and following. John 8, 53 and following. He's having this conversation with the Jewish leaders And they ask him, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Are you you saying you're better than Abraham and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our father, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Now, I just want to stop there for a second because we're talking about theology. We're talking about knowing God. We're talking about being religious people. And Jesus was talking to the most religious people. He was talking to the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of his day. And these were people that if you had asked them, do you know God, they would be like, what kind of a preposterous question is that? Of course we know God. And and if you would ask somebody about them, do those guys know God? They would say, absolutely they know God. They're the most religious, the most pious, the, the most godly people we've ever seen. They know God. And Jesus shows up and says, you don't know him. And out throughout the book of John, the evidence that they don't know God is what? That they don't recognize Jesus as the embodiment of who God is, as the representative of Yahweh, as the representative of the Father. That so much so Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you reject Jesus, then you've also rejected the Father. If you say, look, I like God, I like this idea of God, and I like to do what God wants me to do, and I I fear God, I want to keep his commandments, but this Jesus guy, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. Jesus says, you don't know God then. Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the fact that these religious leaders wanted to crucify him and eventually did was evidence that they didn't know him. So evidence that we know God is that we follow Jesus. That's what it means to say, I see 
God in Jesus and I want to follow him because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not, 50, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The, the Greek phrase that Jesus uses when he says, before Abraham was, I am, is ego emi, ego emi, I am. And it's the same way that back in Exodus chapter 3 that we read earlier in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's how that's translated as well. I am who I am. And so almost all scholars think that Jesus is making a reference to that. Before Abraham was born, he doesn't say before Abraham was born, I was. He says before Abraham was born or before Abraham was ego emi, I am. Jesus is. Jesus has always been. Jesus will always be. Jesus is the embodiment of the invisible God. He is the official representative, the anointed one of his father. So much so, again, that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. Now think about this too, what Jesus is saying in context. Now think about who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jewish leaders, right? And the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people, not just the leaders, but all of the Israelite people were all descended from whom? Abraham, right? Abraham. They all owed their existence to Abraham. Every single one of them. Everybody he's talking to owed their existence to Abraham. In fact, he says, your father, Abraham. They all owed their existence to Abraham. They're all dependent on Abraham. In fact, all of us are dependent on our ancestors. And Jesus says, not me. I'm not dependent on Abraham. In fact, Abraham rejoiced to see my day before Abraham was a go me. I am. Jesus' existence isn't dependent on Abraham, unlike everyone else there. Again, we could talk about the infinity of Jesus and the aseity of Jesus as well, that Jesus is infinite. The second person of the Godhead is infinite and is not dependent on anyone or anything because Jesus doesn't owe his existence to anyone or anything like the Father. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. As the writer of Hebrews begins his call to fix their eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Through whom he created the world, through the Son, the Father created the world, through Jesus, he created the world. So Jesus shares in the status of creator. Jesus shares in the status of creator. Now again, I just kind of want us to picture that because it's really hard to picture this abstract idea of God, God. God who is omnipresent, God who is present everywhere and is all-powerful and not limited by anything. 
then somehow the gospel message is that God became flesh. And that this Jesus that we come to know through the gospel accounts, that he shares in the status of creator. So you want to know the creator? You want to know the one who made? I, I love to think about weird random things like the, the atoms, the protons and neutrons and electrons that are in your chair and in your shoes and in your clothes and all of this amazing microscopic existence of everything that is. The one who created all of that and all of its beautiful, wonderful complexity. Look at Jesus. Because that that one who died on the cross for us shares in the status with his father of creator. Creator who created all things. In fact, going on to verse three, he says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Jesus not only shares in the status of creator, he also shares in the status of sustainer. Sustainer. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The one who died for you, the one who wrapped a towel around his waist and got down on the floor and washed the dirty, nasty feet of men who would use those same feet that same night to run away from him, who would deny him and betray him, abandon him and forsake him. He washed their dirty feet and then he died for them and he died for you and he loves you. And he wants a relationship with us. He shares in status not only of creator, but also sustainer. The entire universe, the sun coming up and going down, the earth spinning and going around in its orbit, all of the, the countless stars and solar systems and things I don't even understand, the radio waves and microwaves and gamma rays and everything that is, he upholds all of it by the word of his power. And he died for you. He needs nothing from us. He needs nothing from us. He is not limited and he is not dependent, yet he wants a covenant relationship with us. So that's how we can end tonight is the Lord who gives everything and needs nothing wants fellowship with us more than anything. Isn't that amazing? That God wants fellowship with us. And if we even understood the intimacy of that word, I don't think we would just use it to apply to potluck meals. <laughs> as much as I love a good potluck meal and can't wait to have another potluck meal, but fellowship is so much more than a potluck meal. It means partners in it together. It's an intimate word of friendship and partnership. And this God who needs nothing who owns everything, who gives everything and needs nothing, wants a covenant relationship with us more than anything and was willing that Jesus was willing to not grasp onto equality with the Father 
but to make himself nothing, take on the form of a servant and die in humble obedience on a cross so that he could have covenant relationship with us. Now, on the one hand, we could just walk away and be like, wow, that's amazing, that's wonderful. But go back to what what God said to his people in the Psalms. What does he want from us? Gratitude and glory. He wants us to live out our gratitude and live for his glorification. Live in light of his glory. Live in light of who he is and what he's done. Tremble before him. Obey him. Be loyal to him. Give him our allegiance. But the only way we can live that out properly isn't just like a checklist of things and it's not just like, well, you know, you don't want to end up in the bad place. It's not, it's not, that can't be our motivation. Our motivation behind everything has to be good theology. That this God who gives everything and needs nothing wants nothing more than to have a covenant relationship with us. That he wants that more than anything. And if we let that sink in, and transform us, then how we live out that gratitude and obedience and loyalty and allegiance is totally transformed, isn't it? To realize this is who God is. This is who God is. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by your infinity, by your limitlessness, by the fact that you aren't dependent on us or anything else, that you are self-sustaining and self-dependent. And Father, you need nothing from us, but you want everything for us and with us, that you are mindful of us who are just a speck in your creation, but yet you have deemed us to be your special creation, to be your image bearers, And to do everything you've done to redeem us and bring us back into covenant relationship with you overwhelms us. And Father, we pray that you help us to keep that feeling of being overwhelmed, that thought of being overwhelmed with gratitude at the forefront of our minds and help us to live with gratitude. Help us to live for your glory. Help us as we go from this place tonight to always remember who you are by looking at the cross. And Father, thank you for your son and for all that he has done to bring us into relationship with you and for your spirit who unites us and lives in us. And Father, we pray that we may walk by the spirit, that the spirit's fruit might be seen in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Have a good rest of the week.